Praise God, we are in week two of Christmas in a Box. Last week we talked about the idea of peace, which are things that God wants us to unwrap in this season, I believe. And uh, last week I gave you two questions that are pivotal as you go through any storms in life. If you know what they were, I'm going to give them to you either way, okay? So number one, if you're walking through a storm in life, the first question you should ask yourself is, am I moving forward or backward through this storm in life, right? That was the first question. The second question was, am I praying first? Not second, not third, not last, but am I prioritizing praying to God as I walk through a storm in life? And I don't know about you, but I've had a few opportunities this week to put those into practice. Anybody else? Hopefully you guys have been thinking about that as you've walked through any storms this week. And so today we're gonna be in another huge topic. And the topic of this morning Christmas in the box is freedom, freedom. Here's what I believe for your life. God wants you to be free. God wants you to walk in absolute freedom from anything like fear and addiction and hopelessness and doubt, shame, whatever it may be that kind of holds you in this life. God wants you, I believe, to be free. I believe it's God's will for your life. Everyone say, it's God's will for me to be free. Now, how do I know that? Because I can go back to a classic Christmas prophecy in Isaiah. We actually touched on it last week, but I want to go back to Isaiah 9 as we begin this morning. Isaiah 9, starting in verse 2. Listen, listen to what it says. This is the Living Bible Translation. The people who walk in darkness shall see a great light, a light that will shine on all those who live in the shadow, in a land of the shadow of death. For God will break, listen, Break the chains that bind who? His people and the whip that scourges them. Let me stop there for one moment. I want to point out quickly that it says that God will break the chains. He will set people free that are his people. If you're a believer in Christ today, if you are a child of God, born again by the blood of Jesus, you are part of that group. You are part of his people. And then he goes on in verse 6. Check this out. Just as he did when he destroyed the vast host, vast host of the Midianites by Gideon's little band. Let me stop there again. I think it's important that you kind of see what is Isaiah pointing to the Messiah using. An old story from Genesis or Judges chapter 6 where Gideon, this, this kind of guy, is called to lead this small band of 300 people against a massive Midianite army. Remember that whole story? And so they go against this huge army, and God wins this huge victory through a few guys. And I think what Isaiah is pointing to is this. God is saying, I'm going to achieve this massive victory. I'm going to bring my light into the world and break chains in a way that you would never expect. I'm not going to raise up some kind of king or a, or a prince or a dictator or a president. I'm not going to raise up some military leader, some soldier, some warrior. I'm going to come in the form of a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and lying in a manger in Bethlehem. I'm going to come in an unexpected way, and I'm going to revolutionize the planet in a way that you would never see coming. Just like the Midianites did not see Gideon and his 300 men coming and taking them out. God was going to use something that nobody would ever expect to see. And then he goes on. This is our big Christmas statement. Check this out. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and these will be his royal titles, Wonderful Counselor, 
the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to us in these moments we have together. God, I pray that if people walked in this morning, and I'm sure that many have walked in here, God, that are just like bound up in life, whether it be fear and anxiety or, or whether it be addiction of some sort, whether it be um, shame or guilt or whatever it is, I pray, God, that whatever is binding us up in the name of Jesus, I pray that your spirit, the might of God, would be active in this room, breaking chains, fulfilling that prophecy for all God's people, that we would walk in freedom, that we'd walk in the blessing of God, and that we would leave this place changed by your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I heard a story years ago about a young man. He was a, uh, a graduate of the University of Georgia. And he graduated with a, a degree in business and a minor, and this is unique, he, a minor in Portuguese, for whatever reason. But that major and minor gave him an opportunity to go uh, to, go to Brazil, which speaks, speaks Portuguese, um, and be a part of a multinational uh, uh, company. And so it was a great job, great opportunity. So he flies down to Brazil and begins this job. He's making really good money in his early to mid-20s. And, and so um, when Christmas came around like this, he, he thought, you know what, I want to get my parents a gift. And I don't want it to be some just small trinket. I really want to get them a gift that is unique and that is expensive. And I want to really bless them because they like paid for me to go to college and, and gave me this great opportunity. And so he just wanted to like bless them now that he was making good money and, and doing well for himself. And so he asked some friends in Brazil, he said, hey, what's a real Brazilian kind of gift? Like, what can I get my parents that kind of really says this is Brazil and this is kind of extravagant, you know? So one of his friends said, hey, you should get them a macaw. A macaw bird is like the most like Brazilian type thing there is. It's beautiful and, and they can even speak sometimes. And so, so he went to a, a pet shop and began to look at different ones. And this one macaw bird could speak several phrases in both English and in Portuguese. It was this really cool bird. And so he asked the owner, he said, how much is this bird? And, and the man said, well, because of its unique ability to speak two languages, it's actually pretty expensive. He said it's $3,500 for this bird. And the young man was like, man, I, that's a lot of money, but I feel like it's probably worth it. It's one time in my life to really get a, an extravagant gift. And so he said, I want to get it. How much would it be to ship it to America? And the man said, well, it's about 500 bucks for the shots, all the inoculations, and then about $1,000 to ship it. And so all in, $5,000 to buy and ship this macaw to America. And the young man thought, and he talked to his friend, and, and he said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it, man. When else can I do this for my parents? So he bought that bird and had it shipped and hopefully arriving on Christmas Eve. And so on Christmas morning, he, he wakes up early and he calls his parents in America. And he, his dad answers the phone and he says, dad, did you get my gift? And the dad says, yes. And it was delicious. And the young man was like, what? And the dad says, yeah, we had this mist over last night. It was the most like fresh bird I've ever had in my life. And so it was amazing, this Brazilian bird, like, you know, for Christmas Eve dinner. And, and, and the young man was kind of silent on the other side. And he finally says, dad, that bird cost me 5,000 bucks. And it spoke two languages. And the dad paused for a second and said, well, he should have said something. <laughs> There are times in life where you and I, life and death can be in the power of the tongue. Amen? 
that we needed to say something. And so I don't know, you know, what kind of uh, life stage you're in, but there are times as a, maybe as a spouse that you need to say something to your spouse, right? It could be your anniversary. And the first thing you should say, guys, is happy anniversary. Don't say good morning. Don't get your coffee. Don't do anything else before you say happy anniversary, baby, right? If it's a birthday, same rules apply. Uh, how about, how, maybe you're like a single person or maybe you're a single guy here. I'll speak to all the guys. So if you're a single guy and you're, you're thinking about that girl and she's, she's beautiful and she loves Jesus and you're watching her during worship and, and you're thinking, man, that's the kind of girl that, that I would love to date. If that's you today, I'm just gonna encourage you. You gotta say something. You gotta ask that girl out. Amen? You gotta be bold, you gotta be a little bit courageous and make that statement, make that step, ask that girl out. You gotta say something. Maybe you're, you're looking at a possible promotion next year as the year comes to an end and you're thinking maybe in 2023, I can step up into a higher level in my company or whatever it is. Listen, your boss may never understand that you're even thinking about that unless you say something, unless you speak. And so this morning we're gonna be using, of course, our Christmas in a box theme and in the box, is something related to your freedom. Y'all ready? You excited? Yeah. yeah, okay, here we go. It's a tongue depressor. Did everyone get one of these when you came in? If you did not get one, you're gonna need one. So I'm gonna ask you to be bold and courageous and say something right now. If you didn't get one, I want you to raise your hand. Okay, we got a number of people. All right, we have some hosts that are gonna run down here. They're gonna pass out some tongue depressors as fast as possible. These hosts are amazing. We got some down here, a few right here. Russ, Russ up in front. I'm, okay, Andrea, my wife's up in front. I wasn't gonna call her out, but I have no problem calling out Elder Russ. All right, everybody getting them? Got a few more, a couple more up here. All right. Got one more over here, a couple over here. Man, you guys must have snuck in the back door. I got one over here on the side. Goodness gracious, the 9 a.m. was way better at this than you guys. You guys like, <laughs> got a few more over here on the side. We got some in the balcony. All right, I'm gonna start talking. Keep your hands up. You don't need it right this second, so make sure you keep your hand up. We got a few more over here, guys, on this side. And I'm gonna keep going. You guys ready? Okay, if you can listen with your hand in the air, let's keep, let's keep moving forward. The book of Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says this. Check this out. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, often in church, we, talk, we think about the, the tongue being kind of this source of evil, right? Like, like gossip and slander and, and uh, prideful statements and hateful talk and all these things that we think about the tongue being used for evil. But that verse says the tongue can be, yes, it can be evil, but it can also be used for good. And the fruit that it bears can be bad fruit or, and this is so important, that fruit can be really good fruit. There's life. There's blessing in your tongue. It's not always destructive. And many times it's meant to build each people up, including yourself. And so there's freedom that is born through your words that you say. And this is so important for us to get a hold of this today. Because a, a, a tongue depressor 
is used by a doctor to hold your tongue, to control your tongue, to hold it in place so that you can't move it around. The enemy loves to control the tongue of believers. Do you know that? And not just because he wants you to speak things that are evil or bad or dark or whatever that is. Oftentimes he wants to suppress, he wants to oppress your tongue, to keep it depressed where it will not say the things that bring life and freedom into your life. Amen? He wants to depress you. And so in Isaiah 9, we already saw that God wants to break chains. He wants to bring freedom. And often that freedom is going to come by the things that you say. All right. So you got a pen. Pull a pen out. If you don't have one, there should be a few in front. We're going to kind of do a little bit of exercise through this message. And so get a pen handy. I want to give you today four statements, four freedom statements the enemy would love to suppress. He would love to keep those things out of your mouth. But these statements, I believe, are some of the statements that will bring freedom to your life, that will help you to walk in a victory. And so I want you to get these things not only in your heart and mind today, I want you to get them out of your mouth. Amen? So four statements that are freedom statements. The first one I'm going to ask you to write on the end, just pick an end of your tongue depressor. I want you to write this statement. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Write it right on the end. If you're watching online today, you don't have a tongue depressor most likely handy, but you can draw it out on your notes and write it on the end of it. I'm sorry. In the book of Matthew chapter 5, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. Check this out. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Okay, now I want you to give it, get a little context of this statement that he makes. This statement, the Sermon on the Mount, I already mentioned that, it's being said on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the altar was where? In Jerusalem, right, at the temple. Now as the crow flies, it's 72 miles from where he said it to where he's talking about. So what he's saying is, if you find yourself in Jerusalem and you're at the altar and then you realize someone back home has an issue with you, drop your gift, go 72 plus miles as you're, if you're walking, 3,200 feet elevation change, go all the way back home and come all the way back to the temple and then offer your gift. Make things right. He's saying, take a two-week journey Get home, say you're sorry, be reconciled, and then come worship. So what he's saying is this, is this massive inconvenience, right? He's saying that your horizontal relationship with people takes priority over your worship, your vertical relationship with God in this moment. He's saying prioritize that you get your relationships right and then come back and offer your gift the Lord. Now you might say, but Matt, like it's so hard for me to say I'm sorry. It's so like unnatural for me to say like I'm sorry, I admit my wrong, all that kind of stuff. There was actually a, a story that I heard about, a, it was an area in Montana. It was kind of a hilly, mountainous area. And, um, and they began to see this really weird rise in crows being hit and killed by 18-wheelers. 
there's this weird thing that was happening. And so a group of ornithologists, those who study birds and behavior, they went to this area and they began to study these birds and, and try to figure out why are all these crows being hit by 18-wheeler trucks? There's this weird thing. And so they began to study and they began a video and an exam was happening. And they found that... Um, there was a lookout bird. They had kind of organized themselves in a way where there was a bird circling above as crows were down on the road below eating and scavenging on carcasses and all that kind of stuff that crows do. And so they had this bird above. And when, when a vehicle would come in the distance, that bird flying in circles above would warn the crows down below there was an, on, an approaching car. And so... Um, they began to, again, examine further, and they, they figured out why the crows were being hit by 18-wheelers, and this is why. It's because the crow above could say, ka, ka, but couldn't say truck. <laughs> I know, true story. It's pretty intense. <laughs> For some of us today, saying the words, I'm sorry, is about as hard for you as a crow saying truck. It's really difficult. It's, you, you have a hard time and some of you guys are kind of elbowing your spouse right now because they'll never say they're sorry. Maybe neither one of you guys do and you're both doing that. You know, I don't know. Listen, if you can't say I'm sorry, there are two basic reasons. Number one is you're prideful because you can't acknowledge that you're wrong. Like you, you can't admit that you actually made a mistake, that you fell short of what you should have been doing. You missed the mark in life. And so, you, so there's a pride element there where you justify yourself and you say things like, well, I did that, but I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't done that. And so you, it's like the, a prideful way of saying, yeah, I might've done something, but you did something worse, right? So it's pride or it's learned behavior. Many of you grew up in homes where nobody ever said they were sorry. You know, you got in big fights and things blew up and yelling happened and someone put a hole in the wall and it was like all this craziness. And then at the end of the day, we all kind of went our separate ways. And then two days later, we were just kind of like moved on with life and we kind of hoped that everything was kind of cool. And you just swept it under the rug. But guess what? If you grew up in a home like that, those things never went away because they weren't ever resolved. And so what was under the rug at some point comes out in bitterness and unforgiveness it comes out in hurt that travels with you through life. And you might say it this way, you kind of go through life with like an emotional sunburn. And so when somebody hurts you a little bit, they say something small, maybe insignificant, man, it's like, it's like having a bad sunburn that someone hits you in the back. If you didn't have that burn, it wouldn't hurt that bad. But when you have that burn, man, it's like it's painful, right? And some of you guys are walking through life now because you, with that kind of emotional makeup because you never learned as a child in your home how to say sorry. With our kids, you know, we, are, we have four kids and, um, and we did what every good parent should do. We, we made our kids say they're sorry. And we made them hug it out. Say you're sorry, give her a hug and you move on. And you might say, well, that's not like real heart change. It doesn't, it doesn't like change their heart. Like they're just doing it out of, you know, repetition or doing it because you made them do it. But the reality is, is they're learning how to say words that are going to give them freedom in life. Because the heart stuff can, can, can change, right? Like right now, I would love to have a diet 100% of hamburgers and Twinkies. Right? Now I can say that out loud and I mean it. Like I don't want to eat healthy stuff. 
at all. But I choose to do the right thing, and I hope that at some point in my life, I'll begin to want to have a salad, okay? <laughs> like, I'm hoping that at some point, it's gonna catch up, but I do some of the right things just because I should do them. Now, with your kids, the same is true. Teach your kids. Make them, when necessary, say they're sorry. We have four kids, like I said, all of our kids, they like each other. They all have a good relationship. They're all close. They enjoy being around one another. And I believe that part of that is because we taught them at a young age how to say, I'm sorry, because I'm sorry brings freedom. Now listen, if you would say, Matt, for me to say I'm sorry is as hard as a crow saying truck. It's so hard to get out of my mouth. Well, guess what? You're not a crow. If you're a Christian, you have a different bird that you associate with. It's a dove, the Holy Spirit. And so as much as it may be difficult, if you're a Christian, you can be refined and sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he will help you. He will enable you. He will empower you to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Now, let me give you, speaking of that, let me give you kind of three quick steps of how to do a right apology, because there are wrong ways, amen, to do an apology. Number one is this. You say, what I did was wrong. What I said, what I, the way I acted, my emotional, my outburst, whatever that was that you're apologizing for, you say, what I did was wrong. And the second step is this. You say, I'm sorry for the pain it caused you. So you're acknowledging, first of all, you're humbling yourself and acknowledging, man, I, I blew it. I fell short in that moment. I'm sorry for the way I acted. I'm sorry for what I said. I'm going to humble myself whether I want to or not. I'm going to get it out of my mouth. I'm sorry for what I did. And then second, you're going to say, I'm sorry for the pain that it caused you. And then number three, and this is an important one, how can I make it better? How can I make it right? What can I do to turn this thing around? I said that to you. I'm sorry that I said that. How can I now encourage you? Or how can I, how can I make this right for you? Here's the deal. An apology like that, it will not change the past. It can't. What's said is said. What's done is done. It can't change the past, but it will change the future. You can't go back and erase it, but you can make things right, and you can, you can resolve conflict and learn how to get past it. And if you'll do that, you can change the future of your life, the future of your marriage, the future of, of your family, Listen, maybe you're not married. Maybe you don't have a family. Maybe you're single and you're, and you're like hoping that someday you might have a family. You might be married. Listen, learn this in your singleness. Learn it when you're dating. Learn how to say I'm sorry before you say I do. If you'll learn this now, it will save you. Married folks, tell me, testify. Here we go. It will save you a lot of pain in your future. Learn how to say the words I'm sorry. Okay. Here's the action step. Under the words, I'm sorry, I'm gonna ask you right now, Holy Spirit, speak to us. And I'm gonna ask you to put under that, that little statement, anybody the Holy Spirit brings to your mind that you need to apologize for something. Anyone that you need to say, I'm sorry to. I'm sorry what I did was wrong. I'm sorry it hurt you. How can I make it better? How can I make it right? Okay, so right now, if you wanna put it in code, you can put it in code if you don't want anybody to see your names. You can put initials if you want to. 
but some person that you're going to, listen, prioritize that relationship. And when, you're, and when you put it down, you're going to walk out of here and make it right. No, I'm just kidding. Don't leave yet. But I'm going to ask you to make it right today, though. Make a phone call. Set up an appointment to have coffee. If you want to, you can even send a text, but it's the lowest form, okay? So you get no extra credit points for that. It's like you get no gold stars. But if that's the only way you can get it out, though, then start there and have a conversation later on, okay? Y'all with me? Names of anybody you need to apologize to underneath. I'm sorry. I'll give you a few seconds. All right. Freedom statement. Number two, turn your thing upside down, your tongue depressor, and right on the other end, write this statement. I'm struggling. Same side. Just turn it upside down. You're fine, though. If you do it on the other side, it's not going to be a big difference. I'm struggling. All right. Freedom statement number one. I'm sorry. Freedom statement number two. This brings freedom to your life. If you will say, I'm struggling to people that are around you. Listen, all of us, all of us in life need somebody that we can tell our junk to. Super important. Ladies, you do much better at this than guys do. Let's just be honest, right, guys? You need somebody, whether it's a friend or a, or a counselor or a coach or a teacher or a pastor or a parent or even your spouse, you need somebody that you can talk to about the struggles you're having in life. Amen? Amen. Now, sometimes a struggle can be sin. Sometimes it's like I'm, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm, I'm struggling with whatever, jealousy, whatever it may be. But sometimes the struggle is a sin pattern in your life that you keep on kind of going back to. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 28, it says this. Check this out. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. People who conceal sins will not prosper, but if they will, if they will let those things out, they'll receive mercy. And you might say to me, well, Pastor Matt, if I tell people about my sin or about my struggle, if I tell them my, I went back to that same thing that I confessed before, if I tell them people are going to judge me, they might judge me. That's possible. People can be judgmental, right? That can happen. But if that's your question, what do people judge? Let me give you a much better question for you to ask. And it's this, what if you never get free and what if you never heal? What if you stay in that same pattern the rest of your life? What if you never get out of that addiction? Some of you guys have been planning to drop that thing for eight years and you're still in it. And you're thinking, man, people will judge me if they know that. If they know I drank like that. If they know that I'm doing this, that I'm going there, that I'm looking at this, whatever it is. And you think that people will judge me. But listen to me. What if you never find freedom? What if you never are healed? James 5, check this out. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. What if you never find healing? 
When you confess your sin to God, 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then James 5 says something different. If you confess to each other, you'll be healed. God will forgive you, but there's healing that only comes when you confess. You humble yourself and confess to a brother or sister in Christ. Now, this is why we do small groups at MCC. If you're in a small group, this is why we do these. We want you to have relationships with people in our church that are brothers and sisters in Christ that are close enough for you to tell your stuff to. Amen? We've all got our stuff. And so we want you to have somebody else in your life that you can confess when you're struggling, whether it be with sin or a mental health or whatever it is. You need somebody that you can talk to about your struggles. You need somebody else in your life if you're going to find freedom and healing. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has nobody to help them up. You need somebody in your life. When you confess your struggle, they're going to pick you up. Pity anybody that is isolated and alone and cannot tell anybody about their stuff. Amen? So here's your action step. Here's your action step. I want you to write underneath that I'm struggling. I want you to write the name of somebody in your life that you will tell the next time you're struggling. This is a hard one. Write the name of that person. And let me give you one thing real quickly. Um, don't write, if you're married, I would say in general, don't write somebody of the opposite sex. Okay? And if you're married, if you did that, you're stupid. Okay? <laughs> I want to make that very clear. Because that kind of relationship would be completely inappropriate, wouldn't it? Amen? Spouses in the house? Okay. So write down somebody else that you're going to talk to the next time that you're struggling. A coach, a teacher, a pastor, a counselor. Somebody that you're going to talk to when you're struggling. Now, a follow-up to that, I want you to let that person know today. I want you to tell them, hey, just so you know, you're my person. You're the one that I'm going to talk to. It could be somebody in your small group. But you're, you're going to talk to that person. Let them know, hey, the next time I'm struggling with something, I'm going to let you know about it so you can pray with me and so I can find healing. Amen? Amen. All right. Freedom statement. Y'all ready? Turn it over. Backside. Freedom statement number three. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Those are powerful words. Amen? So we've said... I'm sorry, we've said I'm struggling, and now we're saying I'm thankful. This is a freedom statement. It's a powerful statement. When you say the words, I'm thankful in life, it'll set you free from things like negativity, amen, and cynicism, and it will set you free from even a lot of like mental health issues that people have comes from this root of just not being thankful in their life. When you begin to see I'm thankful, you bring freedom to your life to enjoy the relationships that you do have in life. Instead of saying, I wish I had that, or I wish I had that person in my life, or I wish I had a kid or a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever it may be, instead of kind of being negative, when you start being thankful, it's going to turn that around where you can actually enjoy the people and relationships that you do have in your life. 
One more really positive thing from this that I can tell you today is that if you say, I'm thankful, when you're thankful, you are following the will of God for your life. First Thessalonians chapter five says this, give thanks in how many? All circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And the next verse goes on and says this, check this out. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Give thanks in all circumstances. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. So why does Paul, the, the writer of Thessalonians, why does he put those two statements side by side? Could it be that when you're not thankful, when we're, when we're not thankful, we actually inhibit or we, we stop the flow of the Spirit of God, we quench the Spirit in our lives? Could it be that God is saying, when you're thankful, you open the door of heaven to pour in to your life? Unthankfulness stops that flow. Now he says, make sure you give thanks, not in some, not in part, but in all circumstances. So let me ask you questions. Should you be thankful in loss? How about in grief? Yeah? Can we be thankful in grief? Is it possible to be thankful when you're discouraged? Yeah? Y'all with me, MCC? Help me out. Is it possible to be thankful when you're stressed out? When you have job issues, when you, when you have family issues and people issues and, and your kids are going crazy? Is it possible to be thankful even when you're failing in life and you feel like, man, I'm not getting anywhere, I'm not moving forward in my life? Is it possible to be thankful even in that? I believe it is. And I think it's important to point out to you one word that you might be confused by. When Paul says, be thankful, he says, be thankful in all circumstances. He didn't say be thankful for all circumstances. It's so important. You don't have to be thankful that you're sick. You don't have to get up in the morning and say, God, thank you so much for giving me this sickness. It's the best. You don't have to say, God, I'm so thankful that my kids are going crazy right now. I'm so thankful I failed that test last week. You don't need to say I'm thankful for it. You need to be thankful in it. As you're walking through this storm, as you're walking through hardships in life, as you're walking through family issues and problems and all these things, it says you can be thankful, not for it, but you can be thankful in it. Now, years ago, my wife, her, her kind of senior pastor that she grew up with, they had built this new church and he told this story. He's kind of a mentor to her and, and even to myself in kind of a, a long distance way. Um, but he told this story. He said he, was, he had built this brand new, beautiful church. And, and, um, and in, as part of the design, they had this big orchestra pit that they had designed in the structure. And so up by the stage, there was this big pit, you know. And, and, uh, and so he was so excited that when they got this orchestra pit, it was going to create an opportunity for those who played horns and strings and all these things to come in and be a part of the music and the team and all that. But when it was built and they began, nobody was sitting in those chairs. And he found himself becoming more and more discouraged. And every Saturday he would go in and pray for the next day's service. And he found himself, as he walked around the sanctuary praying, he'd walk next to that orchestra pit. And he found himself just saying, man, stupid 
orchestra we put in here. Nobody's sitting. It makes it look terrible up here. Nobody's in this thing. And he got more and more upset about it. And finally, God spoke to him and said, why don't you start blessing instead of cursing that pit? Why don't you start acting in faith and being thankful for what I'm going to bring instead of being unthankful and always kind of being discouraged and voicing that discouragement. He said, why don't you change the way you talk about this orchestra pit and see if I can fulfill the promise I've given to you as you're thankful and not quenching, amen, the spirit. So every week he began to intentionally walk by that orchestra pit and he began to bless that orchestra pit. He began to say, God, thank you for those who will sit in this place and they will, they will play different instruments and they will bring you glory. God, thank you for new musicians coming into our church. Thank you that every seat will be filled and one by one by one by one, those seats became filled with great musicians because he began to bless and be thankful instead of cursing with unthankfulness. So in your life, here's your action step today. Underneath where you put, I'm thankful, I want you to write three things that you're either thankful for, like something you're thankful right now for, or three things, or it could be a mix of the two, that you're thankful in. Maybe you're walking through a hardship and you've been just kind of cursing that, that journey you've been on. You've been unthankful. You've been discouraged and you've been, you've been spitting that stuff out and God is challenging you right now. Why don't you begin to bless your kids? Why don't you begin to bless your marriage? Why don't you begin to turn that statement around and, and speak thankfulness? God, thank you that you gave me this person to walk through life with. Thank you that you gave me my children. Thank you that you gave me this job. Thank you that you gave me this church. I mean, whatever it may be, begin to turn that around. So write three things you're thankful for. The band's gonna lead us in a song of gratitude. And when you finish writing those things out, I'm gonna ask you to stand up with us and we're gonna begin to speak out in song our heart of thanksgiving and gratitude. All right, write those three things out. Seth, lead us.
There's one more word. I told you I was going to give you four, and some of you guys are wondering, where's the fourth one at? Our last statement, our last freedom statement are these two words, I surrender. We talked about I'm sorry and I'm struggling and I'm thankful, but these words can begin a relationship with Jesus where you find freedom for your soul. This is a deep level of freedom. And the only way you can find freedom in Christ is to begin with these two words, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. In John 8, Jesus said this. He said, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. The only way to find freedom is to give your life, is to let your life go. The only way to find life even is to lay your life down before Christ and say, Jesus, I surrender my life. I want to be free. I can't make it on my own. And when God frees you in this way, your soul finds freedom from eternal punishment that you deserve because Christ took that punishment for you. You find freedom from the power of sin in your life. And you find freedom from the power of shame in your life. Now, some of you guys walked in here and you're carrying massive loads of shame and guilt. And when you even stand in a room like this, you think, oh, but God, you can't forgive me because of all the stuff that I've done. And you're carrying in like backpacks full of just the weight of sin and shame and all the things you've done wrong in your life. And you assume that God will not forgive you. But if you will say, Jesus, this is so important. I surrender. That means I'm going to lay all my shame at your feet. I'm going to lay my very life before you and say, Jesus, you can have everything. If you will do that, then John 8 will be true in your life. You will find freedom that is freedom indeed. Amen? Only Christ can give you that. Someone has to every head be bowed and every eye be closed for one last moment of just privacy. If you're here this morning and you've never said, Jesus, I surrender. I want to give my life to you. I know that I can't do life. I can't do eternity on my own. I need to be forgiven. I need to receive your mercy. I want to receive new life. And the only way I'll have it is if I surrender myself to you. If you're here this morning, you say, I want to surrender to Christ today. I want to give my life and find freedom for my soul at that level. I'm going to ask you to just quickly raise your hand right where you're at. Thank you. Raise it up. Thank you in the back. Praise God. Anybody else? in the balcony. Thank you. Is there anybody else? This is your day to say, I surrender. This is your day. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else real quickly? I'm not going to hang on long. Thank you, God. Thank you. Yeah, buddy. Praise God, man. All right. We're going to say a prayer together. This is a prayer of invitation. It's a prayer of surrender, saying, Jesus, I give my life to you. Come in. Change my life on the inside. Amen? So we're going to pray a prayer all together. I want everyone to say with me. Everyone say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive all my sins. I surrender myself completely to you. Be my Lord. Help me 
to turn away from who I've been and to turn to you with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength. I surrender. Come into my life. Change me on the inside. Forgive all my sins and make a home ready for me in heaven for all of eternity. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Amen. Can we got some praise right now in this house? Praise the Lord. Hey, I want to encourage you as we kind of wrap this morning up. I want to encourage you this week to be saying freedom statements out of your mouth. Say, I'm sorry. Maybe even today, you're going to call somebody up and say, hey, I'm sorry. Say to somebody, when you are struggling, say, I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time with this. Make sure every day you're saying, God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. And then can we just put a practice in our lives where we daily take up our cross and we say, Jesus, today I surrender. If we'll do that, I believe God will lead us into a season of unprecedented freedom in our lives. Amen? God bless you guys. Have an incredible week. We'll see you next Sunday morning.